Hello, everybody. Uh, don't click the plus 15 second button. I know you want to hear my 30 second rant always. I know you're definitely not skipping over this part. So because you're not skipping over this part, you get the deluxe treatment, which is send me ideas of people you want to hear interviewed. Um, you guys are all wonderful for listening to this podcast. And um, I think we can get a lot of great guests on. So if there's someone you think about that you want to hear interviewed, let me know at Billy underscore Draper on Twitter. Uh, call me, tweet me if you want to reach me as they sit on Kim Possible on the Disney Channel in the early aughts. So that would be wonderful. Um, and I will do my best to get them. Uh, also, makingthebrand.co. I just opened up a new credit card. I didn't owe any interest for 18 months. So that was 18 months of runway for a $5,000 limit that I could uh, essentially, you know, fund the business on. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I'm a venture capitalist at Draper Associates, but on this show, we're gonna be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Jake Casson, founder and CEO of Movement Watches. Jake teaches us about the strategy behind a crowdfunding campaign and taking a business from zero to $80 million in sales in five years. So today on the show, we have a very special guest, Jake Kazin uh, from Movement Watches. Uh, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So to start off, what is Movement? Sorry, you broke up there for a second. Say again? Uh, yeah, to start off, what is Movement? Yeah, so Movement is a watch and accessories brand. Um, you know, primarily we we started with watches. Uh, minimalist watches has been re really an aesthetic that we've uh, strove for. The, the whole brand uh, concept revolves around an aspirational lifestyle, uh, living life on your own terms. So for us, it was always you know making sure that we had high quality products um, at accessible price points and a brand that uh, just represented more than just the physical product. And how did you decide on watches specifically? I always loved uh, fashion, but wasn't really sure, you know, where I could start. And, and back in college, I actually dropped out and um, I owned a couple watches, but really it was just a couple. And um, although I liked the aesthetic, I just couldn't afford, you know, any of the other brands out there. You know, $500 wash was just way too expensive and I didn't understand why. And um, and I really don't want to get into apparel and deal with different sizes and, you know, kind of fast moving trends and whatnot. So watches was something that I didn't see any other any of the other brands out there that I resonated with personally from brand or aesthetic and especially not price. So for me, it kind of just was common sense. It was like I like watches, but there just wasn't something that was out for my demographic. And uh, when I got the samples in initially, I started kind of walking around. Uh, the campus, just seeing what people said. I didn't even tell people they were our watches. I just said, hey, what do you think of this watch? And instantly people fell in love when I told them, you know, the concept behind it, the brand, the story. 
uh, and just kind of instantly validated the whole idea just kind of peer to peer. And what year was this? This was 2013, early 2013, uh, when we were like really developing. We launched our Indiegogo campaign in June of 2013. So how did it go for, and you were still in college at the time? So it's, it's a kind of a long backstory, but I, I dropped out at 19, still lived in the college town um, because I wanted to still experience the college life and, and whatnot. But I had been starting different businesses um, you know, from an early age of about 16, 17, and um, basically what kind of led me into developing movement. And what was the catalyst for the Indiegogo campaign? Because when you do the Indiegogo, that, that's when, all right, we're going to go all in on this thing. What, what were the steps between, hey, you know, I got some samples, this is really interesting, and I'm getting some compliments, and I'm going to make this, I'm going to make a run at this? Um. It was kind of, you know, I'd seen other success of different campaigns and uh, me and my my business partner, who was my roommate at the time, studied the crowdfunding industry pretty aggressively. So for us, it was it was just it wasn't when it was just what are we going to launch? And we just knew that we needed to find a product that we really believed in. Um, and after just kind of doing some research, we had launched some other stuff and uh, eventually landing on on watches we just really realized that, wow, that there's nothing out there that we like that is that aligns with a product like this. And we could really launch this and, and run with it. So, um, you know, went from kind of idea phase to, OK, getting what, what design watch would we want? Can we physically design a watch? We didn't have any real experience as designers. I had some Photoshop experience. Uh, could we get them get the watches manufactured? Could we get the quality uh, on the standards that we we wanted to get, so it was kind of a you know research and development phase for you know six to eight months, and then once we got the samples and they were up to the the standards that we wanted, the design came in looking great. Um, it was really just marketing, branding, and, and execution from there. So, and was it called Movement from the get go? Yeah, it was called Movement from the get go. How did you come up with the name Movement? I mean, it was a concept behind the, the brand of, you know, we want it was, it was a handful of things, really, like the brand and a, a movement to really live life on your own terms. I think the millennial generation, um, you know, has has kind of carved their own path of, of, you know, maybe not going to college or pursuing their dreams on social media or whatever it may be. There's so many careers that have been created by millennials, not going the traditional you know, path of a nine to five and, and playing it safe, so to speak. So for us, it's really, you know, uh, kind of going against the grain and, and living life to how you want to live it, um, which seems to us and to me, it kind of seemed like a no brainer. I couldn't see it any other way. But um, I think we've kind of the movement is just showing that it is possible. So uh, that was piece a piece of it. Um, you know, another thing was just making sure that we could offer quality products at an accessible price point. We just wanted to make sure that fashion was obtainable and, and, and it didn't have to cost a fortune because of just the brand, right? We wanted to start with a direct-to-consumer brand, meaning we would sell from our website uh, here in the United States to you know anywhere across the world, um, which allowed us to kind of not have to mark up the products to retailers such as Macy's and, and Tilly's and all the other guys, uh, which is what the traditional, you know, fashion brands kind of dealt with and, and had to market up because they needed to make a profit when selling to a Macy's. For us, we sold direct to the customer, which meant that we could actually, we didn't have to, to add that 
margin in um, to make a profit on the watch. We were just selling direct to the customer. So, you know, since then we've developed an offline channel. We do sell, we are sold in Nordstrom's now and so forth, but building a brand direct first, uh, it, it means that you're not reliant on the third party retailers. And we still make less than, you know, a traditional Michael Kors would in a Macy's if we were to sell to Macy's. So. And so you kick off the Indiegogo campaign and was that your only funding to that point or were you self-funding for a while or, or how did you how did you uh, fund the business early on? Yeah, so it was very strategic because we had no money. Uh, to be frank, I had a credit card. I just opened up a new credit card. I didn't owe any interest for 18 months. So that was 18 months of runway for a $5,000 limit that I could uh, essentially you know, fund the business on. Um, I really had no money to my my name. I actually have a screenshot of I think negative two hundred dollars uh, of credit card debt in my in my uh, bank account. And that's pretty much it from like the early days. Um, so it was go it was going into credit card debt, funding the samples, funding you know uh, the photography and and really anything else kind of inclusive in the launch of the of the Indiegogo. We went to Costco. They have a great return policy. We bought a you know fifteen hundred dollar camera. Uh, returned it uh, a week later. Same with the tripod. We bought a you know nice uh, mic on Amazon. Returned it a few weeks later. So uh, yeah, we were in no, we were in no, we were not in a good shape to to launch a brand. It was just you know a minimal viable product. If if people like the the product and the concept, um, that's what Indiegogo is for, right? Like here's your initial concept and product, and if people believe in it and like the design and the story, then they'll you know, basically pre-order the product with months, giving you months of runway to actually execute and build the product. And at that point, you're actually able to to have the the capital to invest into quality products in a website and so forth. So that is awesome that you were buying things and returning them and just living on truly a shoestring of a shoestring budget. And and how much did you raise in the Indiegogo campaign? So we raised just under three hundred thousand, um, which was how much were you targeting? So there's two sides of that. One one side is our goal said it, we were only targeting fifteen thousand, um, but realistically we were looking for six figures, and we we had pretty we were pretty confident that we were going to raise six figures. Um, putting a fifteen thousand dollar budget on Indiegogo was simply a strategic move, and the reason why is you know if I were to put a hundred thousand dollars as a goal and we raised ten thousand dollars in the first week. People may say, oh, you know what, I'll come back. No reason to get my hopes up, invest, you know, the $90 now and then see this not come to fruition. Because if you don't raise the capital, the the goal, uh, oftentimes that's the minimum. That's the threshold that you need to hit in order to come out with product. For us, $15,000 was kind of the threshold. And uh, yes, $15,000 was the threshold. And we knew that if we made $10,000 in the first week, that everyone would see that and go, okay, well, they're clearly going to hit their goal. I'm going to, I'm going to receive a product guaranteed. Uh, I'll happily contribute today. Uh, so that's just one piece of it. Also, you know, when you exceed your goal by a percentage, there's just so many like claims and marketing kind of tactics you can use to just increase your awareness uh, and the impressions that you get to your page. So it was really very, very strategic. We actually attempted to launch on Kickstarter twice and got denied twice. Back in the day, Kickstarter was very, very picky on um, the innovative you know, products that they selected. It was really only innovative products, but I think as they've gotten bigger and realized the success of brands like Movement and so many others, I think Bombas, a sock company, was on Indiegogo right around the same time too, which is wildly successful. 
they've now realized like, okay, innovative is great, but sometimes being too innovative, you know, requires actually more capital and it's difficult to actually have successful businesses. Um, you know, Pebble is a great story. They're a smartwatch company that I believe has had troubles and I think eventually sold to maybe Fitbit. Um, but so that, that's kind of the, the background story. And and what gave you the confidence you were going to hit even 15,000? That's not a small campaign. Again, we had studied Indiegogo and Kickstarter and I was I had no school, you know, uh, commitments. I wasn't going to class. So it was spend all day researching, understanding the kind of background behind Kickstarters, videos, the top funded campaigns, what they all had in common and um, just really being close to it and understanding it, I think allowed us to understand and give us an edge. Um, but really I had nothing to lose, to be honest. I mean, if I, I had 18 months of interest-free credit card, you know, debt, and if I had to go and work at Subway for a couple of years to pay that off and live with my parents, I was prepared to do that, to be completely honest. I mean, I really, it was kind of a, this was one of the last things where I was, it was a big bet. You know, I had other businesses that had gone under that were, that got up to a hundred thousand uh, in revenue and, and, you know, even, even bigger than that. But this was one of those times where I really believed in the business, the concept, the product and uh, our ability to execute. And if it, if I, if I was wrong, then just another lesson learned. And, you know, I'd be living with my parents a little longer than uh, they probably want me to. Yeah. Well, good for you. It seems to have paid off. Yeah. Uh, and then some. So and and uh, talking about the business to a little bit, um, how did you decide on your price point? Most I think most of your products are around, you know, 100 to 200 dollars. How did you find? Is there a sweet spot or did you do a little bit of guess and check or how did you think about that? Yeah. So early days, our, our first watch uh, leather strap was 95 and then stainless steel strap was 100. Um, really, it was just based off of the cost of the watch, cost of shipping, kind of general assumptions. Um, pretty loosely based, but we were able to kind of we didn't have any expenses at the time. So we, we understood, you know, essentially product margins and what we needed to sell the, the watch for. So uh, we landed there. As of now, I think our most expensive watch ends up to be around one hundred and sixty five dollars. Um, you know, with new materials, new, um, I mean, really mainly new materials, new movements, new designs. Um, it kind of ranges across the board now. Um, but really, I think as long as we stick to under a $200 price point, uh, it's still an accessibly priced watch. Our watches, in fact, all our products, not just watches, uh, comparable to any competitor, whether it's sunglasses, jewelry, or watches, are two to three times less than, than most of our competitors. And in some cases, you know, competitors are even, you know, four or five times more. So for us, it's always just been, you know, we, we, we're, we're a fashion, we consider ourselves a, a fashion watch, a fashion company. Uh, so it's less about the utility. We use high quality myota movements, so they are good movements, um, but our, our watches are more fashion forward and we, we think about it more from a fashion sense more than anything, so. And on the marketing side, where are you having success finding your customers? I mean, at this point, we market pretty much everywhere you, that any kind of major brand does. Um, we started really social media and uh, using utilizing Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and some of these other categories. And influencer marketing was big as well. So, um, I mean, digital has always been our, our bread and butter. That's kind of what I've known. Um, I'm 27, so it's been what I know 
uh, best. And, you know, I think my demographic knows best. So it's just been easy to understand how to adapt. And, and these were, you know, we launched a business about five years ago now. So this has been right when, you know, Instagram was still at, Instagram didn't even have videos, I think when we launched. So, you know, we've seen the progression of Vine and Instagram and Facebook and Facebook ads and Pinterest ads. And I mean, we were one of the first Pinterest advertisers ever. Uh, so just to see the progression, we did some Tumblr back in the day. So we've really done just about everything. And I think having that internally and owning that has been a really uh, strong piece of of what we are at Movement is just, you know, hold, holding closely what what what's the most important. It's the brand, it's the product design, um, and then just like internal customer service and so forth. And with influencer marketing, how do you, I guess two questions, how do you pick influencers and then how do you make sure that the that their sort of uh, advertisement for movement feels real and in keeping with the movement brand and and sort of all those criteria? Sorry, say what you broke up in the beginning. I think you asked about influencers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. One, how do you pick your influencers? Um, and then two, how do you ensure that they stay in tune with the sort of all the things you care about and the movement brand? Yeah, so there's there's definitely some secret sauce there. I think at the very very high level, you just need to find people that are authentic, and if they they need to like your product and like you, and um, if you don't have that, then it typically doesn't work. So for us, you know, we're in Los Angeles, so you know we're fortunate enough to know a lot of these people personally or have them in the office. Um, we find people that make sense that align with the brand. So I think you just have to really understand what it is that what it is that your who your demographic is as a, as a product and a brand and then and then work with people that align there because if you just work with someone who has a large following you know it could work but nine out of ten times we've seen it not and do your customers then impact your decision making at all do you do you uh, sort of take feedback from your customers or you know different colors different styles are they asking for I know you recently got into sunglasses. Was that something that the customers were were begging for, or, or how do you um, how do your customers influence your your product choices? Yeah, certainly, we're definitely you know all ears when it comes to customer feedback. Um, you know, so I think it's a, it's a good blend of both. It's you know where we see the brand and what we want to do. I think if we get customer feedback, good or bad, we certainly take that to heart and and you know implement different types of products, designs, whatever it may be. If if our customers are asking for it, so. Uh, but there is still an aspect of, you know, us always kind of uh, leading where we want to be next. And, and, you know, our customers may not be asking for that, but we believe that that's the right move for the for the brand or for the next product. And um, it's kind of, you know, I think just the inspiration behind some of the movement team here is like where we see the brand going. And where is that? Where do you see it going next? So, I mean, in terms of design, it's. In terms of design, it's it's a little hard to I guess uh, you know I guess be too specific, but we're coming out with more watches, we're coming out with more sunglasses, jewelry. Uh, we want to be a full accessories brand across the board. You know, watches really leading the pack, um, but we want to be fully accessories um, again across the board. And I think that we've proven that out in sunglasses. Our sunglasses are performing really well. Uh, I think you know you've, we started last year with some sunglasses, kind of limited uh, assortment. And this year we've really uh, grown that assortment. And, and I think we have some really strong styles and the, the branding behind it and the campaigns we've been doing have been amazing. Um, jewelry, we're, we're still kind of stepping up. We launched kind of last year for the first time. 
Um, and then we've talked about other accessories. So, um, but again, watches, I think we're doing a lot of cool stuff there. And, um, you know, I don't consider us a minimalist brand. It's just, that's the aesthetic that we really like right now. And that's what we're inspired by. Um, but you know, overall we want to be a large, you know, billion dollar brand, global brand one day. Uh, I want to have a, a brand that's very aspirational, like the Nike and Adidas of the world's. Uh, I think it's it's been I haven't seen many accessory brands do that well. And I believe that movement is well equipped to to get there. And do you today do you skew male or do you skew female or are you pretty much down the center? Uh, we're a majority male, but the female customer base is certainly growing. And you mentioned a few some challenges you faced in in sort of getting the business off the ground to begin with. Were there any challenges you faced in the early days of of you know once you've incorporated, once you've sort of raised the money on Indiegogo? What sort of challenges did you face in the early days of getting the watches to the people? Um, that's a good question. I, yeah, there, there's been hiccups here and there. Um, I don't know. There, there's always hiccups with fulfillment and shipping and. Uh, you know, we shipped 160 countries. We've learned some things about some countries' uh, customs and duties are, are a little more aggressive than others. And just it, it's near impossible to, to have a, a customer have a good experience. So, you know, we've we've stopped shipping to a few countries uh, because of that. But I think we're just con- consistently learning. And, you know, at such a small scale early on, there's only so much you can do. But as we get bigger and, you know, uh, we did $80 million in revenue last year, we'll continue to uh, optimize the ability to be- become a global brand and, and make sure that we kind of uh, supplement uh, customers across the gro- globe and, and really, you know, provide a, a good offering to them. We want to make sure that our customers come first and that they're really happy with not just the product, but the experience of, of receiving the product. And, and what about competition? How do you deal with the competition, both the legacy competition that you were sort of coming to to uh, create a better offering for? And then, you know, I'm sure there were a ton of fast followers after you. How do you think about your competition? Yeah, you know, the, the legacy guys don't really worry me as much. I think that their entire business model is just in a different, uh, different mindset. So I think for us, it's, um, you know, again, having the, the online presence, understanding digital um, will continue to grow. And you know, we're in Nordstrom and we're one of their best performing watches. So, uh, you know, as we get into different wholesale channels or different partners, I think that we'll continue to, to perform really well. I think that the kind of me too's and copycats, you know, as long as they're trying to copy us and, and, you know, figure out what we're doing, they'll always be a few steps behind. And uh, I also just think that, you know, it's not just the product, it's the product brand, the team we have here uh, being in Los Angeles, you know, the design, the design inspiration that we have, the designer that we have. I mean, it, it really comes down to, to more than just, you know, copying a brand. And it's funny, I actually th- see a lot of brands that try to copy us that uh, may co- be copying things that actually weren't good moves on our end. And that's just how I know that they'll always be uh, a, a few steps behind and, and making mistakes. And so it's, it, it really doesn't worry me. I think our brand is stronger than any of the other, you know, Me Too's. Uh, out there and um, just confident in, in our continued growth and success. And for your, you mentioned Nordstrom's, for your retail partnerships, do you expect that the brand is going to still mostly be held in-house, uh, you know, and you keep those direct customer relationships? Or do you want to sort of just get it out there as big and as and as broad as possible? And sort of, I guess, I guess the way to pose this as a question is, in five years, do you expect 
more of your products to be sold direct or more of your products to be sold uh, through third-party retailers? You know, I think it's a little bit of you know, kind of to be determined. Uh, as the retail industry grows, we're, we have a, you know one eye open and just want to make sure that we adapt and aren't kind of close-minded to where the world's moving. Um, you know, I think if, if we had it our way, we'd, we'd love to uh, own the entire kind of relationship and uh, have customers come directly to us. But I also think that there's an element of where does the customer want to, to experience the brand? And if our customer goes to Nordstrom's, then I think we should be in Nordstrom's. So it's just a matter of where the world, uh, again, kind of moves. And, um, you know, are the Nordstrom's of the world still around in a handful of years? Are they able to, to kind of survive this changing uh, retail kind of environment. I, I think they will. I think that they're doing a great job. They've been a great partner to us. Um, but it's just something to, to kind of think about and, and see and, um, again, keep one eye open. So, And speaking of where the world moves, um, you know, customers are tough. How do you keep, how are you, how do you plan to keep the offering fresh? I think, I mean, a big piece of it, again, is, is just coming out with new products. It's one of the reasons we didn't want to just be a wash brand. Um, and even when you look at our Instagram or social, you know, we're a lifestyle brand. There's a there's a kind of a, a message behind the brand that, that represents more than just a watch or, you know, a sunglass or any other physical product. So for us, it's it's really providing, you know, this this experience, this feeling that you get with movement. Um, and then just continuing to, to develop really great looking, high quality products and you know, ideally, as long as we continue to do that and resonate with our customers, I think we'll do a great job. Yeah, it seems to have been working so far. So um, and and I'll fast forward a bit to today. How big is the company now? Um, you mentioned you did $80 million in sales last year. That's pretty awesome. Uh, how many people and where and you you're in L.A.? We're in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, we're in Playa Vista. We have about 35 to 40 uh, people in house here in the LA office. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good sized team. Again, I think we focus on really what, what we think the most important pieces of the business are being in Los Angeles is definitely, I think a huge advantage to us over, you know, legacy or me too's like being in Los Angeles. We just have these amazing relationships with creators or, you know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, influential individuals across, you know, Hollywood, Los Angeles, wherever. And if people don't live here, they're coming here for vacation or for work, for business. So it's a great place to be. And um, I think it really helps the brand. And it was a great, like, you know, originally me and me, my co-founder aren't necessarily from kind of uh, Los Angeles exactly where, you know, I was an hour or two out. He's from San Diego. You know, we could have moved somewhere in between or and we, originally we were in Santa Barbara too. So there was a lot of options. Um, again, not, not far out of Los Angeles, but being in Los Angeles is, immensely helped our network and the brand and just the recognition of of who movement is. And we see it more and more. It's, it's kind of a crazy feel that every year where we'd go out and talk to people about movement, they'd have no idea to now people freak out when they hear about movement and know about the brand. And it's one of their favorite brands. So um, I think we've moved really fast for, for just five years, especially when you think about, you know, two of those years we were in an apartment uh, and then we had an office for a couple of years and now we're finally in this office and, you know, only about 35, 40 people strong. So I think we're doing a good job for our, our, our little size. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> zero, to, <laughs> zero to 80 million is is fast. I don't care what business you're in. Um, and, and is your team is the team you said 35 people? Is it, uh, you know, marketing? Is it sales? Is it design? Is it engineering? Is it sort of some mixture? What, what is what do most of those people do? 
Yeah, it's a good it's a good combination uh, of all that. Um, I'd say about fifty percent or so is uh, is marketing. Um, we've just kind of wanted to keep that in house, and it's been that's been what I you know I led a lot of that early on, and it's something that I really just believed was an important piece of the business, and um, saw some other brands that focused on other elements, uh, whether it's supply chain or whatever it is that um, they invested in some really aggressive things that could maybe you know, save them a couple bucks per order or whatever it is, but uh, they they lacked the connection with the customer. And even though they saved a couple of bucks, you know, the customer wasn't happy with the actual product or experience or product offering and uh, and businesses have, have, you know, either been destroyed or, or hurt pretty badly because of that. So for me, I always figured, let's just focus on make sure the customer's happy, make sure we're coming out with product that the customer wants. And, and that's just also what I, as a consumer, believe in as well. So I, I care more about the product and the fashion and uh, how it makes me feel than I, I do about, you know, did it come in an extra day or did it cost a little less to ship, whatever it is. So, but we're, I think we're still aggressive across the board and I think we've done a, a really good job. Was there ever a moment um, sort of as things started to progress and as sales started to sort of take off where you felt like this is really working? Was there, you know, did you see someone wearing the watch on the street? Did you hear something? Did you get written up? Was there a moment where you felt like this is going to be giant? You know, I wish I could remember every, there's been so many times that to be honest, uh, which I'm fortunate to be able to say that. And and unfortunately, and again, it's all perspective, but like as of late, I feel like I have less of that now um, because it's almost, you're almost numb to it, which is really unfortunate. I, I try to take like journals and make, you know, video notes to myself. And I still have some of them. I just didn't do it frequently enough. But when I see them, I kind of, you know, realize like how special this is. And I think there's been a couple of times where, you know, I we've met, we met this kid, we did this Nordstrom tour, we, we visited a few Nordstrom's out, I think in Texas or something and across kind of the East Coast, me and my co-founder and, you know, we go into a Nordstrom and talk to people and just get face to face with, you know, kind of with the founders. And they, they had no idea it wasn't an event. It was just we were going to talk to the sales reps essentially just to see how our product was being displayed. And, you know, a valet driver that we at the hotel we were at uh, was wearing one of our watches and we used to drive valet five years ago before this business. So kind of stopped, gave him, you know, six watches for the whole valet. uh, And he asked for a number and ends up, you know, hitting us up later that night and asking if he could, you know, buy us a drink or something out in, I think it was in Austin. So we'd go out in Austin and you just see like this kid who was, extremely stoked on the fact that he's meeting, you know, the movement founders. And, you know, I see people from time to time. I think we had another guy who uh, just at different, different places around the world, I think is really cool. Like I've had people send pictures in Israel or in Italy, or I mean, just random Spain, random places. And when you see people wearing the watch, you just realize, wow, we are, a, you know, a global brand and people it's, it's their choice. Like it's their choice to wear, you can only wear one watch. Right. And it's their choice to wear, you know, movement. So it really is eye-opening, and um, I'm grateful that that we're in this opportunity and the customers uh, love the brand. So, You could wear two watches. It would just be very bizarre. It would, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, and, and you, uh, Jake, what is your what is your day-to-day look like now? What kind of things are you working on? You know, it's a handful. I think in the early days, it was more very, very hands-on with every decision from what went on the website to who we were working with to, I mean, Pro, everything, product and, and whatnot. Now it's, you know, who are we hiring? You know, making sure product is good. Like just not necessarily, 
you know, designing everything by hand, but I have, we have a designer and, but we're very hands-on in the process and approving things and inspiration. Um, and then just overall direction of where the business goes. You know, I think it's, it's important. It's hard because I was doing marketing up until we got to about 30 million and we hired a CMO and and he's kind of come in and, and helped build the team and, and build out marketing and has done an excellent job. And if I was, was still doing that, not only would I've for sure have made mistakes that could have, uh, stunted the growth of the business, but I wouldn't have had the time to, to focus on other areas of business. So, um, I don't know. It's interesting. I think that that's really been my focus is just where, where's the ball going? Like, you know, kind of driving the ship and, um, hiring people make, I'm in every single, you know, uh, interview before we bring someone internal. I want to make sure that culture is still, you know, a key piece of the business. Uh, and then I just enjoy like opportunity, you know, if, if I, I like the fact that, this is a growing business. And the fun thing about having a startup is early days, it's easier to grow, you know, year over year. And, and, you know, we went from 1 million our first year to seven or second. So, you know, some huge explosive growth and to, to, although that gets harder as you're, you get a, you know, larger and people and infrastructure, it's exciting to me. That's what's fun about it. Um, so I, I enjoy that piece of the business. And now you are a, you're a giant consumer brand you're doing 80 million you probably have a, a ways to grow what would you consider a successful outcome for the business what do you want to happen yeah i'm sure you've had offers um less of that and more of just listen i i i essentially reverse engineered a, a, a brand in a product that i could i could just really love personally right like i could enjoy doing you talk about you know i, I before i had a few businesses that i kind of fell in my lap and i ran with it and you know, getting halfway through it, a few years into it, I'm like, wow, I don't, I really don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, and fortunately or unfortunately, those businesses actually got put out of business. So when I started movement, I was really like, what could I do that could really grow, could really be something I'm passionate about? Uh, you know, I'm living in Los Angeles where I always wanted to live. I'm working with my friends and, and learning a ton, which I've always wanted to do. I'm able to fly to, you know, across the world and meet with people. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I signed up for and exactly what I wanted. So for me, it's just, I want to continue to see movement grow and to become a global brand. And, um, you know, I want to, I, I think there's going to be challenges that are unknown in the future, but I, I look forward to those challenges and look forward to, to growing the business. And, and that's really that. And along with just, you know, I want to, my, my whole goal too, is my, my dad lost his job and uh, he had a, he had his own business back in, you know, he had it for 22 years and with the 2008, kind of economy crash, market crash, uh, kind of went through savings and lost, um, lost the business. And so it's my goal to just make sure that they're, you know, retire them at some point and make sure that they're, you know, have a, a happy retirement and whatnot. So it's kind of a combination, which is as long as I'm happy doing, doing movement and growing it and, and, you know, continue to progress and then taking care of my parents. I think those two are, are really my, my main priorities. Yeah. Those seem like worthy goals. Uh, hmm. And last serious question that I have a sort of a, a lightning round of five fun questions. What uh, what advice would you give yourself, um, you know, in 2013 when you were starting the business? What advice do you have for someone today who's thinking about starting a consumer goods business? Um, 
let's do twofold advice to myself would probably just be, um, you know, celebrate the little wins and, and have a work life balance. You know, I think early, early days, you know, year one, two, I was really, you know, sacrificing my diet, sacrificing, you know, my health a little bit with fitness and ended up having kind of burning out, having some bad anxiety issues. And, um, and then even over the years, I've, I've battled going back and forth of just work, work, work and sacrifice, you know, personal life or whatever. But what you realize is you just, you end up crashing and then to get back on track is a process and a mental battle. So just have the balance, you know, like if you, if sleeping in one extra hour in the, in the morning or, you know, going to bed early and you're like, whatever it is that you need to do, basically just do it and, and you'll, you'll find yourself being happier. You know, if you need to go to the gym and, and leave work a little early to do it and have a, a kind of a, health, a healthy balance, then do it. The difference between kind of a, a regular, you know, nine to five or even, you know, salary employee versus an entrepreneur is there's always going to be something that comes up at, at times. So regardless, if you're like, okay, well, I'll wake up at this time and I'll go to the gym at this time and, and so forth, there's going to be, you know, fires that need to be put out at random times and you're going to have dinners and this and, and everything's kind of work at the end of the day. I mean, I, it's, it's unfortunate, but I mean, work is my life, right? Like movement is something that, and I love talking about it, but it doesn't matter where I go. I'm talking about movement. Um, and it's just like, it's consuming. So, uh, I think just balance is a big thing. And then I think just for people in general, when starting off is, you know, you're going to ask a lot of people for advice and, and try and get feedback. I would just try and, and reach out to individuals who have accomplished, accomplished something similar to what you're trying to accomplish. Because a lot of times you're going to get seek advice from, you know, your girlfriend, your wife, your family, whoever it may be friends. And if they don't really, either they're not the demo or they've never accomplished what you're trying to. And um, usually aren't the best people to give you, you know, honest advice. It's probably biased, whether they're being overly nice or it's probably biased uh, because they don't understand how you could grow a watch brand one day. Right. Like, so I, I've just had those issues and I just realized early on that when I talk to people who have accomplished things, like they seem to get it. They seem to like really understand if they've grown an e-commerce brand or a fashion brand. Uh, and then on top of that, just to layer that with one more kind of piece of complexity is uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes people, you know, they know how hard it is and then they're they they're a little more discouraging because they've you know, they have some kind of battle scars. So I don't know. I think you just have to see the vision if you really believe it. If you believe that, you know, you're the demo or you understand it better than most. And um, I think you just go with it on that uh, kind of theory over listening to the feedback from family and friends, even if they're successful and so forth, like unless, unless they're an entrepreneur and have started something that you, you know, admire and want to accomplish, I would usually take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, I agree. And what is your, okay, we're getting into the, into the fun ones and just sort of a lightning round. So what is your favorite of your products? Like what's on your wrist right now? Uh, the revolver is for sure my favorite watch. Um, so it's, it's, uh, the, for sure, like, you know, our, our first, one of our best selling watches was the chronograph, uh, gun, gun metal sandstone. And, and that was kind of the, the favorite for a long time. And then the revolver came out. It was a little smaller, a little slimmer, um, kind of inspired off the revolver. It has one sub dial. So I'm sorry, it's inspired off the chrono, which has three sub dials and, and the revolver has one. So really, really stoked on this watch. It just has a clean look. And then there's a kind of a, a little domed uh, crystal for the for the uh, glass on top of the watch. Um, but some of the watches were coming out and kind of in develop it, development for right now 
are what I'm most excited for. And just because I I feel like I've had a little more hands on and really kind of inspiring and and, and kind of trying to move move the, the needle on, on these next designs. So I'm excited to see where where they land, what customers think about them. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly excited for them. Can you give a time frame on when the new products will be released that you're thinking of? Um, I think. I actually, I think it's going to be like Q3, Q, it's going to either be sometime between Q3. I think we might have both around Q3 time. Um, we're launching multiple products this year, but I think the ones that I'm, uh, speaking to will actually be right after maybe, uh, like somewhere around October ish, uh, September, October. Okay. If you could choose anyone to represent your brand, who would it be? Anyone to represent my brand, who would it be? To put Damn, in an ad, a brand ambassador, who do you picture wearing a movement watch that hasn't yet? Or that maybe they already have? Um, it, you know, it's this is hard for me to answer just because there's certain people that I, I want to work with realistically, but I don't okay. want to, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to say them out loud just because I think they're, they're people that we want to target. Um, but I don't know. I've always like, I, I mean, I guess actually this is easy. I would, I would for sure bet. You know, older Kobe Bryant. I'm a big, uh, big Lakers fan, big Kobe fan. So, um, you know, if we could have got a, a, a wrist on his uh, or a watch on his wrist early, early on, I would have loved that. Kobe, I know you're listening. Please <laughs> make it happen. Uh, and if you weren't selling watches, what would you be doing? I, I like to think that I would figure out some entrepreneurial journey. You know, I was thinking about real estate for a while. Um, I was thinking I had other e-commerce businesses, so I was selling, uh, what I call rave lights and accessories for EDC Coachella and events like that. Um, again, that was something I just fell into, but fortunately that's not a market I love, nor is it a market I would have wanted to build a career in. So I probably would have been selling something online or, um, or consulting for a while, you know, even with I, I was thinking about starting a consulting agency for crowdfunding as well back in the day. Um, and I have other ideas that, you know, one day. So. And do you have any special talents or hobbies? Ah, special talents, man. I'm not a I never not really a talented, uh, talented kid here. Uh, Sports, instrument, uh, you know, uh, something, I mean, you, something I, you when you're not thinking about movement, what are you thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I love watching basketball. I played soccer growing up and then I kind of screwed up both knees. So I try and stay away from kind of playing soccer or basketball. I've been doing this boxing class uh, on the weekends, which is super fun. It's kind of like the soul cycle uh, of boxing. You sit in a, a room, listen to Drake or Kanye for 50 minutes and have a instructor kind of scream at a group of 25 people and you just punch the bag until you pretty much drop. So I've been having a really fun time doing that on the weekends um, I mean, outside of that, I've been just, I've been trying to just enjoy LA more and more. As we talked about that work-life balance, I feel like early days, I was just so focused on work, work, work. And now having a team underneath me, I'm trying to think about, I got a bike from my buddies, uh, over, uh, sold bicycles and, uh, they have another, it's e-commerce and, and retail brand, but, uh, just, you know, riding my, my bike at the beach and stuff like that, trying to enjoy Los Angeles for what it is. And are you a fan of any non-movement watches? I think all the kind of high-end legacy guys um, have always been, you know, there's inspiration from them, Heblo and, and Rolex and kind of the list of all those guys. I just love to see walking into their store, seeing how their marketing campaigns, just seeing how they've evolved and, and how they market, I think is always fascinating. Um, 
but you'll only find a movement on my wrist. So <laughs> that's uh, that's what I was going to ask next. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, uh, is there anything you want to plug? MVMT, it's MVMT.com. Uh, and then yep. any Instagram, just plug away. Yeah, so MVMT.com. Uh, you can find all our social handles there. If you want to get in touch with me personally, uh, you can go to my website, which is just Jake Kassan, J-A-K-E-K-A-S-S-A-N.com. And that's also my Instagram and Twitter, J-A-K-E-K-A-S-S-A-N. Um, so yeah, that's about it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jake. Thank you all for listening. Um, thank you, Jake, for coming on the show. Uh, if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe, and I will talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you.